Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley J. Improved my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in to see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, what condition conversation was in. It's WBZ. You are Jay talking. We're live in 9 to 5. And uh, very happy that we have our esteemed Doug Douglas Arian back to talk about the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, landing on the moon, and all that led up to it. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. You come a long way down here, and I'm really grateful that you do. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the several times we've gotten together. Doug is the Donald Hedberg Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship and Professor of Physics at, and Astronomy at Carthage College, and you're still active there, and you, you have stuff you do, and we'll talk about that later. But we're going to set the Wayback Machine to way before they even thought about landing on the moon, even way, bef- well, way before the moon. Why, why is it weird that Earth has a moon, and where did it come from? So uh, it, it's really kind of interesting when you look at the planets in our solar system. So we've got four inner planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. They're all very rocky, you know, things you can stand on. And then farther out, we have gassy planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, big gas balls. You can't stand on them, you fall in. Those big gassy ones all have lots of moons. Jupiter's got 79 moons. Saturn has got like 63 moons. Neptune, I think, has 14. Now let's look at the rocky ones. Mercury doesn't have any. Venus doesn't have any. Mars has two asteroids that got captured. It doesn't have any natural moons. And then we have a monster of a moon, an absolutely enormous moon. Enormous in relationship to the size of the planet. Exactly. So we're really sort of a double planet. So... Um, you know, you grew up thinking that, you know, sun, moon, and stars were normal, right? You know, we have the moon. Of course we have the moon. Everyone's got one. Everyone's got one. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out uh, everyone doesn't have one. In fact, we're the only ones that have one. And we're really weird because of that. And so two kind of two important features. One is w- the best picture we have right now of why we have a moon is while the solar system was young and everything was still molten, something the size of Mars smacked into the Earth as it was forming. That spat out a bunch of material that eventually condensed and became the moon. So we had a weird collision. There were lots of collisions and weird things going on early on because there was a lot of debris around, but that happened to make a big moon for us. And that moon is really important to our existence because it creates all the tides. 
And the tides were a big part of getting life out of the ocean and onto land. So by that theory, moon would be made of the same stuff the Earth is made of. In fact, it is. And, and as we get into talk about the moon landings, one of the big things from the moon landings was bringing rock back and being able to compare rock from the moon to rock from the Earth to find out that, hey, guess what? Same stuff, which and is really amazing. Same striations, le same levels of layers of stuff. No, you don't get you don't get the layers on the moon in the same way you get them on the earth. Mo a lot of the layers on the earth were set in oceans, right? In oh, water, right. Okay. Okay. which the moon wouldn't have. But the composition of the rock, the, the the bulk materials that make up the rock, and the materials that make up the rock on Earth, same stuff. Okay, pretty amazing. So, if something the size of Mars max into Earth, you I would have thought that Earth would just blow up. I mean, that's a big thing. Um, they, I mean, we talk about a mile, a, a mile-wide asteroid would end life. Right, yeah. And so if you have something the size of Mars, how does Earth not just explode? Well, a couple of things. One is um, it was likely a glancing blow. Okay. Um, so it was enough to spit some stuff out. And remember, the moon, is, uh, the moon and Earth are still forming then, so that material that gets blown out, yes, what, what was there was not a nice round thing, Gravity pulled it back together because it was still molten material. Recovered most of it into the planet, and the leftover stuff became the moon. So this big chunk, how come it didn't fall to Earth? I mean, how did it end up in the perfect orbit? It didn't go too far to keep going, and it didn't. Well, I, it didn't I, I, fall I don't back know. To Earth. I don't know the details, but of all the material that went out, some of it, no doubt, did. flew farther. Okay. Some of it fell back in. Okay. A lot of it fell back oh, okay. in, and some of it so was at the one, right distance. It right? wasn't just one chunk. It was a whole bunch. It was a whole bunch of stuff, right? All right. And how old is the moon? Uh, roughly the same age as the Earth, four and a half billion years. Because uh, remember, this was all formed at roughly the same time. So the moon is old. The Earth is old. It's all old. Four and a half billion years. So we get to the space program. The moon's been there a long time, long before space program. <laughs> That's for sure. What what was the the urgency to get it done then? Yeah, I realize a Sputnik happened, but so what? Was it just a an ego, a technological ego? Was there were there political considerations? Were there uh, other considerations? Why then? Why was it so important in nineteen sixty one to get it done? There were a lot of things going on in the late fifties. Uh, well, starting right after World War II, through the 50s, into the early 60s that motivated this. And uh, if somebody's interested in a really great book that goes through this history, uh, uh, Douglas Brinkley put out a book called American Moonshot. It just came out this year, so it's very, very recent, which really traces the whole politics of why this all happened and why it happened. So I highly recommend that book. But you realize that, that the Germans had developed rocketry, very effective rocketry in World War II. The V-2 was falling all over Great Britain. Um, and there was this big program going on in Germany for making rockets. So as the Allies and the Russians were taking over Germany at the end of World War II, one of the big things was to capture the rocket scientists from Germany. And Russia got some, and we got some. Um, and so... We started out with a jump on rocket technology, as the Russians did, by having this capability from, from the Germans. But we knew that the Russians had it too, and it was one of those, oh, 
guess what? Now you could start putting weapons on rockets and reach things. Well, if the Russians do that, we should be working on a rocket program as well. So we start with a rocket program to be building rockets. They're doing a rocket program to be building rockets. And then, of course, the Russians launch something up into space itself. And that scares a lot of people because, as, as I think it was uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, who was at the time the Senate Majority Leader, uh, he was like, you know, I, uh, you know they, they could drop stuff on us. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, sleep under a Soviet moon or something, something like that. You know, the idea that the but that Soviets was the idea, above, that they had this high ground. That they had a high ground and that we needed to catch up. And so there was a tremendous amount of effort and competition, even competition between the, in the services here. The Navy was building a rocket system, which became Vanguard. And the Army was being, building a rocket system that became Redstone. And there was a competition there as to who could get something up quickly. And that started this whole ball rolling of, we got to get a satellite up. And we had quite a few things blow up on the pad and a lot of things that blew up in flight. Uh, of course, we were much more liberal in telling people about that. The Russians, of course, probably had lots of failures. They, they didn't broadcast their stuff live, and we did. So these attempts for satellites were pre-1961, before Kennedy, Kennedy's speech. Correct. And Correct. then one day, he, he decided on the speech. Was that a, a political thing, a it, common it, goal to cheer everybody up, make it, everybody it, feel good, and motivate everybody? Uh, it was that and a way of putting sort of a stake in the ground, a line in the sand of something that was going to be hard to do. Is like, if we get this done, we've clearly beaten them because the Russians had put a man up first. They'd put up a woman up first, Valentina Tereshkova. They had, you know, orbited before we did. Remember, our, our, we didn't orbit until Glenn. Our first two shots were suborbital. So they, they had done all of these things. And there was a perceived well, their rockets are better than our rockets. It's not entirely clear who was really ahead technologically, but in terms of headline-grabbing things, they were grabbing the headlines. And so now it was time. We needed to grab some headlines. So he said, okay, I, I need something big. What's a nice big thing? <laughs> Let's go to the moon. That is huge. We're at the point now where it's been decided, well, we're going to go for it. But a lot of things had to be figured out. For example... They didn't even know if they should use liquid or solid rocket fuel. That's that's how embryonic it was. And in what other ways was it embryonic? Well, there were a tremendous number of things that had to be worked out. Uh, firstly, we didn't have, at least initially, a whole collection of rocket boosters. I mean, we were just developing rocket boosters at the time. And uh, before the break, we talked about Vanguard and Redstone. So uh, we were we were trying to create our first ICBM capability. So it was Redstone and then Jupiter and so on that got built. Um, and the next biggest one was the Atlas. And the Atlas was going to be needed to go into orbit. The Redstone didn't have enough oomph to go into orbit. It could get up and come down. And that didn't go so well. Those tended to blow up pretty often. So What was that, liquid? That, yeah, that, yeah, these were both liquid-fueled uh, systems. So in order to make these things work, I mean, a liquid-fueled rocket is complicated. It's got to have two different liquids, one that burns and one that provides the oxygen. Then you have to pump that. And, and it can leak. And it can leak. And you have to have valves, and you have to put it in at the right rate. I mean, just think of the fuel injectors on your car that have to do things at just the right time. You have to have all that working. There's a lot to figure out. And then guidance, you have to point it. It has to steer itself. How do you do that? Doesn't a solid 
what a solid to, would have. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. uh, but, but okay. just think of all the different technologies. A solid w a rocket is more just like a big firework with an open end. That's right. Exactly. It's simpler. Yeah, in a way it is. In a way, it's a much. What is the fuel in a solid rocket? Is it? Is uh, it's uh, al actually aluminum, and ammonium perchlorate, is what's used in, by Morton Thiokol and the solids you saw on, on, you know, most of our solid rockets. So you're actually burning aluminum, with something that provides oxygen. So it burns very, very hot. Uh, but a solid, once you light it, you're talking about you know a fire firework. Once you light it, it's gonna go, and you can't stop it. Can't turn it off. Can't you can't turn, turn it, it off, and turn you can't it turn it back on. Yeah. So one of the key things, for example, in going to the moon was you had to be able to get up into orbit, and then turn the rocket on again to leave orbit. So the only way to do that you is have another rocket. Yeah, is to have a liquid system. Oh, you, right. It's like your car. You can drive for a while, turn it off, turn it back on, and drive again. And so you need liquid fuels to be able to do that. So, so they, what did they end up going with? The so so the, the rocket that went to the moon, the Saturn V, the first stage burned kerosene and liquid oxygen. The second and third stages used liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. So both ultra-cold liquefied gases. So, in fact, there's a technology you have to liquefy gas, very pure, whole thing that has to be developed. A tremendous amount of technology had to be developed to do any of this. So there were pre-manned flights that were part of the program, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about those? Were those also liquid or were they solid rockets? Um, well, we use solids for a number of things, but, but everything in the program that led to the moon were all liquid fuel. Redstone, Atlas, Gemini which was a Titan. Mercury? Uh, well, Mer Mercury, which flew on Redstone and Atlas. Okay. Gemini, which flew on Titans. And then Apollo, which flew on Saturn. Those were all liquid fuel systems. And of, di and of very different fuels for each of them, different technologies. What else had to f did you have to figure out? I suppose you had to figure out a strategy. Were there competing strategies in the beginning? There were a whole bunch of different competing strategies for going to the moon. So, you know, one idea is you fly a rocket that goes to the moon and lands on the moon and then turns around and comes back from the moon. So that means you have to carry with you all the fuel to get to the moon and then all the fuel to come back from the moon. It means you have to launch all that fuel off the moon. That's a lot of weight. So there was actually an engineer whose name escapes me at the moment who had the idea said, wait a minute, why don't we take just a little capsule with us, drop that to the moon, have it come back, get the guys back off of it, leave that thing behind, and then have a little thing that comes back. And that was scary because it's like, well, now they have to separate, they have to find themselves, they have to dock. That, so all that technology had to be developed. I remember it? the whole thing about docking. They have successfully docked. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. And in fact, part of what happened during Gemini was developing the technologies to dock with something. So as a matter of fact, it, it, it's kind of interesting, but Armstrong, who of course was the first man to walk on the moon, was also the commander of the Gemini mission that first learned how to dock with another spacecraft, the Agena. So that's good. He's used to doing it in the same conditions. Well, uh, he's, he was a big part of developing the technology wow. to do that, demonstrating that you could do that, coincidentally. And he flew that with David Scott, who ended up being on two of the Apollo missions later on. So you had New Hampshire boy, Alan B. Shepard. Yep. From Derry. Yep. First 
guy in space. First guy in space. That was a big deal. That was a very big deal because, you know, we had not put something up, but he went up and came down. Was a- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Short 20-minute flight, but it worked. He How? made it up and came back. Oh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, only up there. Only up 20 minutes completely? The whole, the whole flight was about like, 20 minutes. How high? How high did he get, et cetera? And what did we learn? What did it prove? What did they? How did they use this? Well, a lot of a lot of pieces. One was well, firstly that we could get a rocket with a person on top of it and have it hold together. Um, that we could get one of our people up there. That we could re-enter because one of the most challenging things is not just getting up, it's coming back. I mean, it's sort of like when you hike a mountain, you get to the top of a mountain. That's not the accomplishment. The accomplishment seeing your car at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, here the same thing happens. You go up, you have to come back through the atmosphere. So you had to make sure you could come at the right angle, the right distance, land, and control where you land. So re-entering was a, a complete unknown, and that was a big deal that that went correctly. That's right. And in fact, interestingly, the first two Russian flights... Gagarin and Titov, I just found this out recently. I wasn't aware of this. They didn't actually land with their spacecraft. At roughly 10,000 feet, they bailed out and parachuted down because the Russians didn't have confidence that they could land a craft on the ground safely with a guy inside. So they didn't land in in water no no they landed on the on ground land. they landed on the ground they still do now all, all their spacecraft have always landed <laughs> that, on the ground they must have coming in so hot ejecting from that thing must have been unbelievable yeah i'm sure they were on there were shoots out i mean they were they were parachuting but still you know jumping out of that as opposed to because they were more confident because you know people have been bailing out of airplanes for a long time they knew yeah, that would that makes work sense. it's like we know this will work We'll get you in there, put an ejector seat, pop you out. You can, you can float down. You'll be fine. Um, but uh, so interestingly, when you think about Shepard, yes, we landed in water. But we actually were the first, and we're not behind the Russians, in being able to bring the spacecraft with the person in it. All the way down. All the way down, recover him that way. Why did the Russians choose land over water? Water seems to make sense. I mean, to me. I don't know, outside of the fact that they have a lot of land, a lot of empty space to do it, and they could completely control it. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm making that up. Uh, that may or may not be true. I suppose, you know, I thought of, I think of the ocean as a little softer to land in, but oh, it's yeah. probably, is it, is that a factor? Because when you do, if you jump off something 100 feet high, it, you, it still hurts. Yeah. Uh, is it, is the softness of it a thing? Uh, I, I, Seat of the pants, I would think that landing in water is is a much gentler way to come down than landing on land. Did they learn anything? Well, of course they learned a lot. Any anything about the landing with uh, Shepard? I remember one flight. There was some problem. The with, next flight, with water. Grissom's the next, flight, the yeah. next one. Right. So um, it's still not known that I know of exactly what happened, but um, the hatch on that craft opened, 
It was in tossing seas, and so water entered the spacecraft. Grissom got out, was rescued by a helicopter, uh, but the spacecraft itself was lost. Wow. And so it's a good thing he got out. A good thing he got out. The chopper tried to lift it out of the water, but it was so full of water, it didn't have the lift to do it, and they had to cut the cable and let it go. Say, all right, we got the guy, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't use that, reuse that capsule. Anyway. No, 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 none of our... There might have been data that they wanted, though. Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And and also, you know, this whole issue of, well, can we successfully and consistently land in water and recover things? If you have a problem with hatches and water coming on, that's a problem you need to solve. And, of course, our next flight was Glenn. We are ramping up to the anniversary of Apollo 11. And we're kind of getting a head start on it here with Doug Arian, who is a super expert in all this, in all this, an astronomer and much, much more, astronomer and teacher. And we are now up to, we've just finished talking about when Alan Shepard just went up for 20 minutes. I didn't realize it was 20 minutes, but that was a huge deal. I remember my father being extremely impressed by the whole thing. Well, I'm, I'm old enough to remember watching him go up. I was And you're an Hampshire young. person, right? Did you yep. go? Did you go to the parade or anything? No, no. Because <laughs> people did. I know. Oh yeah, I'm I sure. People who did. So then you have. Well, let's go to Glenn. And when we're talking orbit, so this is a good time to tell folks this really cool fact of why, it, the closer you can get to the equator, the better off you are when you're trying to send something into orbit. So if you want to go around the Earth and not fall back down, you've got to go basically seventeen thousand miles an hour. That's roughly the speed you have to go. Um, and if you think about the fact that the Earth is about 24,000 miles around and uh, it takes 24 hours to spin once, you realize that the equator goes about 1,000 miles an hour. Right now we're going, if you were, we were at the equator, we'd be, we'd going, be going a 1,000 miles and an hour. And you wouldn't notice it until, unless the Earth stopped dead. And, and that would be bad. Be bad. <laughs> now, here we are. We're close to 45 degrees here. So we're actually going about 700 miles an hour okay. right now. So you realize, okay, so here in New England, we're going 700 miles an hour. At the equator, you're going 1,000 miles an hour. I've got to get to 17,000 miles an hour. Wouldn't it be better to start by going faster? Yeah. So why launch our rocket from... Oh, I don't know, Back Bay, Boston. Why don't we go down to Florida, which is the southernmost thing we could reasonably have, also overlooking water, so it's a convenient place to launch from, and launch from there, because there we're going about 850, 900 miles an hour. So we're gaining a whole lot by launching from there, so we don't have to burn as much fuel, because we're already going pretty fast. So that's one big advantage we had, if you think about the Russians launching from Russia, which is very far north, they didn't have as much of an advantage speed-wise, which is kind of interesting. So if you're on the North Pole, you're going zero miles per hour? You're going zero miles per hour. If you're right hour. on the North Pole, you're just kind of you're just, rotating you're just around. Right, exactly. And it's really slowly. Right, right. You're not moving. You're basically not moving. So if that's the case, if we have some sort of weather pattern way up high, Either that's going way faster than we are, or it's lagging behind. So, so, and so the air. So, the whole other subject, meteorology here. But um, the reason that you see every storm system going around in circles, curling. So, even if you have a low, you find air flowing up along the low and curling in. Okay. Or hurricanes that are spinning. The reason you have that is because the Earth is turning. So as 
something tries to move, remember, yeah. the, the part that's farther south, that part is trying to move faster than the part that's farther north, right? Because okay, yeah. And so that makes things to... start spinning. Oh, and that's wow. why hurricanes spin, and that's why weather does what it does. That's why when you get a front coming up here, it's pulling up Gulf moisture and spinning around, and we get nor'easters. So the southern edge of any sort of circular storm, if, if you're north, the one closest to the equator is trying to go faster. Where there's drag on the, on the north, more, more northern part, it's going slower, and that causes the rotation? It's a little bit more complicated okay. than that. Um, just the fact that you know the fact that things are turning. That's enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take time. That's, we could do a whole segment on yes, media, that kind of meteorology. Okay, so what is? Tell me about John Glenn, that first orbital flight, the planning, the additional planning that goes into that, and the difference in the rockets or whatever is different about it. So a bunch of things. Uh, we mentioned before that we used a bunch of different rockets to do our spacecraft. The first Mercury flights were with a Redstone rocket that was built by the Army. The next thing to get Glenn up, you needed a bigger, faster rocket because you wanted to stay up. You know, the first two missions just went up and came back down. You didn't need to go that fast. Now we've got to reach 17,000 miles an hour, so we need a bigger rocket. I see. So... Shepard didn't need to get out of the atmosphere, so he didn't need to go that fast. Well, he got out of the atmosphere, but then he came right back down. Okay. So he, Once you get all the way up there, though, that, you can just shut off the engine, can't you? No. Mm -mm. Okay. The air isn't the significant thing. It's your speed. Okay. And so Shepard and Grissom were not going fast enough to stay up. The oh. same way if you throw a baseball. Really? It goes so up. So did forth. they get to zero gravity? Um. As as you're curling over and dropping down, you feel zero gravity, and then you feel gravity as you come back down. Gravity, l losing gravity in space is not because you're far; it's because you're moving so fast that you're falling at the same rate that you're going past the Earth. Oh, right! You're going fast enough to fall past the edge. Exactly. Okay, but I think yeah, the way I pictured it was once you got outside of any atmosphere and there was no drag and no gravity, you could just turn it off. And you would kind of cruise, but no. No, no, no. you got to be moving fast enough, otherwise you'll fall back down. Okay. So to get Glenn to go and not fall back down, they needed to switch to the Atlas rocket, and we had not had very good luck with the Atlas rocket. Many of them had failed. Failed so meaning a, blew up. Failed meaning blew up, exactly. <laughs> um, so th there was a lot of risk in doing that. So that was one important piece. A second one is now... You know, when you just go up and come down, once you go up and the rocket's gone, the, the, you fly just the, you know, the same way when you hit a golf ball. It goes up and it comes down. Now Glenn's going to be up in orbit, nice, stable, going round and round. And now we have to slow down so that we'll fall at just the right place at the right time and the right amount so that you come in at the right angle because you have to go through the atmosphere and come back. That's another level of complication. And then you want to land in the right place so that the ship can come get you yep. out of the ocean. So that was a whole big deal. So that took a lot of math. A lot of math. A lot of math. And remember, you did not have the computing power that you have in your iPhone right now. We had very, very poor computing power back then. Computers were just really coming into existence in the late 50s, early 60s. So it was a very, very big deal. So... Um, that that was a th th those were some of the really big leaps that had to be made in order to go into orbit. So, John Glenn's flight was we have to develop the technology to go into orbit, stay into orbit, come out of orbit, 
land and recover. So and they did it. It was fantastic. You couldn't test it with your computer model because you didn't have the computing capability. You just had to do the math over and over and say, all right, I think we got it. Well, I hope we have it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, people did it by hand. And there were you know, there were computers at the time, but you know, you had to check everything because they, I mean, right now, I mean, I've got a laptop sitting next to me here. We can crank out all that stuff in a matter of seconds. Back then, it was a very complicated thing to do. It was all new. Was there some super brain behind the whole program in the U.S.? Some czar or a few people? There, there were a couple of key people. In terms of rocket technology, on the Army side, it was Werner von Braun, who was uh, one of the captured German scientists. Um, very much a double-edged sword of having him. I mean, in terms of having his capability, w without his capability, I don't think we'd have ever gotten anywhere. He knew how to make liquid so he was fuel a, rockets. Was he a math work. superstar as well? He was, yeah, math he, and physics and okay. engineering. He also was the one who developed the rockets for Nazi Germany that were being launched at Western Europe. Um, and he willingly did that. And the U.S. basically glossed over that, whitewashed that aspect because we desperately wanted him to be building our stuff. Uh, had we not wanted him to be building our stuff, he would have probably been tried for war crimes. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that, that's another bit of the politics oh. of all of this. Uh, is having that kind of figure involved. James Webb, uh, who is one of the senior people at what became NASA, was very important in keeping the program going and making things happen and working with Kennedy and Congress, keeping money flowing from Congress. And the leading congressional person for this was Lyndon Johnson, at the time a senator and then later the vice president, uh, and then later the president, of course. Um, very, very significant people to making sure the money kept flowing and the projects kept happening. Was this hugely expensive in terms of the big picture? Like, Oh, yeah. The, it took a significant chunk of the budget? It took a significant chunk of GDP into it. And interestingly, here's another piece of the politics, which I, I find fascinating, is um, Kennedy was a masterful politician as well as being you know, a statesman and all the other things. And so... He was very careful to make sure that all the different factories that had to be built, all the different research centers, all the different launch facilities were placed all over the country. And there was a lot of politics behind which states got which pieces. Now, Florida was going to get the launch center for good geographic reasons. Right. But Mission Control and all of that got built in Texas. Oh, yeah. The fact that— Johnson State. The Johnson State. <laughs> But also, it involved, you know, a whole bunch of economic redevelopment there. And then and you found all these other facilities throughout the country were going into districts where he could provide a lot of employment, a lot, you know, this money went into many places. You think Northrop Grumman. Grumman was on Long Island. So Grumman got a bunch of this stuff. You know, all the different aerospace firms all over the country got these things. So there was a lot of intentional economic development being done, knowing that a lot of this money was going to get spent and where in the country to plug that money in to support economic development. Really interesting. Okay, can you, let's break. And the next question will be, talk about some of the other missions and, and specific things we learned from those. And that would include the disastrous mission. Yeah, or, a few of them. Yeah. Uh, a few okay, let's continue after this on WBZ. Here's the real Bradley J saying what he wants 
Say. Speak! Jay talking with Bradley Jay. Why don't you just go and sit down and listen? WBZ News Radio 1030. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Would you put the radio on? Sure. I'm coming up to talk. He wants to talk. Let's see what he has to say. Let's turn into a radio show. It's a beautiful night. Oh, I love this place at night. Jay talking with Bradley Jay. There's no wrong in him. WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ, we continue with Doug Arian. And uh, we're going through the, the uh, space program from Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and we've just finished up talking about first orbit, orbital flight. And now I'm going to hand it over to Doug to talk about some of the missions that uh, where we learned important things, including disasters that you can yeah we'll give you a quick summary of some of those so okay. um you know mercury worked to show that we could put somebody up and bring them back and that being up in space for quite a while did not do serious damage to the body gemini looked at a couple of really important technologies that we're going to need to do to go to the moon one was being up for a very long time a second one was could you get two spacecraft to approach each other. Could you meet in space? And so Gemini 6 and 7 were launched separately, a day apart, and they had to be in orbits where they could actually find each other, and they did that. And then later on, uh, could you actually dock with something else? Could you take your spacecraft and have it connect up to another spacecraft? Because we're going to need that going to the moon. Whatever lands is going to have to come back and dock with us again. And that was... The, the, one of the first missions where we had a big problem. So the astronauts that went up were actually Neil Armstrong and Dave Scott. Neil Armstrong, the same guy who was the first one to land on the moon. And they launched, they flew, they caught up to this other rocket that had been launched, something called Nagina, that had this thing to dock with. They dock with it. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden the thing starts tumbling like really fast as which is, which is why you see the training in the training they have they're spinning around they're spinning around they so you can do they that can right? take it and still function right okay and this was going so fast that they could barely take it and in fact i believe dave scott actually did pass out and couldn't handle it what caused it to tumble it turned out it was um a thruster on the cat the gemini capsule itself got stuck and kept stayed on and didn't come off and kept spinning the thing while they were up there, they thought it was because they were docked, so they undocked, thinking that would solve the problem. It didn't. The spacecraft actually started going faster because it didn't have the weight of this thing on it. 
and uh, they eventually were able to get it stable, but now they'd used up a tremendous amount of their fuel. And so they had to land. And I remember, uh, you and I over the break, we were just talking about things we remember during the space program, but I remember listening to the radio and hearing that they had to abort the mission and come back. And uh, they basically just turned themselves around, fired their rockets, slowed down and came down and landed several hundred miles away from, the, from their rescue ship because they just had to get it down. They were probably very happy to do that. They were very happy to do that and got very seasick because they were in the water for a long time before they got recovered. How, well, th did they figure out what was causing it to spin while they were up there and shut it off and, or, and shoot a reverse thruster to stable them out? How did they stop spinning? Uh, yeah, basically uh, realized that, well, once they undocked, they realized it was still in their spacecraft and were doing the best they could with their own thrusters in the opposite direction. Exactly. It was one making them go one way and they could get it stable. But, of course, that's using up their ability to maneuver. And that's why they had Did to. Did they ever get the stuck one to shut off at all? Do you know? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know so the they, detail of that. If it didn't, then they would have had to continuously fire its opposing thruster. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, and I don't know uh, uh, what that was like. So they probably fixed that valve so that didn't happen again. Oh, yeah. Well, anytime something goes wrong, you definitely want to find out why and make sure it doesn't happen. So that was, again, another one of these important lessons learned. And one of those, okay, we pulled it out of the fire <sighs> things of being able to come down after that. So that was, that was a very big deal. And uh, what about another key mission where they learned that they could do something they needed to learn or that where something went wrong and they learned from that? Well, uh, in Gemini, one of the other things that, that they did um, was spacewalk. Ed White and Gemini 4 left the spacecraft and was able to float off into space by himself, uh, was having a wonderful time, didn't really want to come back in. Um, and the Russians had done it before. A guy named Leonov had done a spacewalk before, so once again, we were, quote, behind. But one of the two big differences, one, Leonov almost didn't make it back because they didn't realize how his suit was going to puff up once he was in space. Because remember, you've got air inside of the suit so you can breathe. Yep. And he was having trouble getting back through the hatch into the spacecraft. He almost didn't make it back in. Really? So what did they do? Have to... Couldn't poke a hole in the suit. No, I mean, I think he was able he to basically to squish it in, but but basically almost didn't make it back. So you need to have your breathing air tightly canistered. Uh, well, you you have to design the suit so that it so can take no that pressure. there's no free-floating air in your suit. Yeah, or some, yeah, something in there to, to, to so that your suit doesn't, you know, you don't become the Michelin man, you know, oh, but well. bend them to get back in. See, that's the kind of thing. That you try to think of everything. And you, and can't, you can't think, of, think of, everything. of everything, right. It's and, amazing to me because even like a simple thing like I did today was paint my house, paint some doors. And I need to think through everything, put the paint over here. And if I forget one thing, the whole project goes up. And that's a super simple thing to do. And I'm just blown away that they could have as much success as they did with such a, something so mass, massively complicated. It is amazing, isn't it? They must have just had people thinking, what can go wrong? Walking through yep. every little step of the way. Okay, let's go through it again. What can go wrong? Well... This is condition exists. This condition exists. Whew. Okay, are we at uh, Apollo One yet? So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of the next big issue is in order to go to the moon, we need an even bigger spacecraft and a bigger rocket to go. And Apollo was going to do that. Um, and unfortunately, 
not long before they were going to be launched in the first Apollo mission, Apollo 1, um, on what's called a plugs-out test. So you're in the spacecraft on the launch pad, and it's the first time you test the system where it's disconnected from the ground. You literally take the plugs out so that instead of talking through wires, you're talking over the radio. Uh, plugs the out. The plugs are out. You know, telemetry has to go that way, all that stuff. Um, that there were some electrical design issues in the spacecraft and uses of materials that were flammable in the spacecraft. And the fact that the spacecraft had a pure oxygen atmosphere. So in there is just pure oxygen stuff that things like to burn in. And a fire erupted in the Apollo 1 spacecraft. Uh, and the doors opened inwardly instead of outwardly, correct? And, uh, the, the doors could not be opened by the, by the, the, the astronauts easily. And they burned uh, in very short order. Um, and it put the program well over a year behind. Because at that point, just as you are saying, you find out what can go wrong. Now that something's gone wrong, you tear the whole thing apart and you start from scratch. You look, we got to just look at every single nut, bolt, and design here and make major changes. And they did. Uh, Is it, what do they have for an environment that's, that's not, it's not pure oxygen now? Did they change that? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's a low-pressure oxygen em environment. I'm not sure what's being used, uh, what, what the blend is. Uh, but uh, that, you know, that was a, a very major setback. They then flew a number of unmanned flights, flew it with no people in it, and then Apollo 7 with uh, Wally Shara uh, was the first flight with people in Is, it. Did they do all those unmanned flights because of that disaster? In part, in part. It's like, let's make sure everything works, uh, and they did that, and, th and those succeeded. And then uh, Apollo 7, 7, 8, 9, and 10 were each done to test different and important aspects of going to the moon. So Apollo 7, first time there were human beings in an Apollo spacecraft, was in Earth orbit. It was a long flight to make sure that they could sustain the length up there, that ring it out, make sure everything worked. Apollo 8 flew around the moon and back. And that was the first time anybody had ever you know, left orbit of the Earth. Uh, that was... Uh, very, very mind-blowing. That was Christmas of uh, 67. So we're, 68, we're, we're at the halfway point. And Doug's, this is a two-parter because this is such a rich, rich topic. And because Doug is so darn smart, it takes two hours to get all this stuff out here. And I'm glad he's here for two hours to tell you the truth because I love this stuff. We're going to science the heck out of this in the next hour as well. I, I will take a call or two in the next hour if anyone is so moved. I usually don't with guests, but if it's right on topic and very brief, a question or an observation, then we'll, we'll allow that. We still have a lot to get to with Doug Arian here, WBZ Boston's News Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.